We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 251. Our guest today is one of the coolest guys I have had the pleasure of interviewing on the podcast. He really provides opportunity at all levels of the sport. He is super positive, really supportive, and really passionate about developing individual talent. He also wears many hats within the industry. He is a writer for Sidelines Magazine, he is a judge, and he is a rider and trainer at Alaron Show Stables in Seattle, Washington. So without further ado, I would love to welcome our guest today, Rob Jacobs. I know you're a busy guy, so we will get right to it. Would love to hear how you first kind of found yourself in the equestrian world. Well, I started riding um, probably a little later than most. I believe it was, I was in the sixth grade and um, I, I always loved horses, even when I was much younger than that, um, but just didn't get a chance to really uh, get my hands on one until I went to a, um, an activity camp in Maryland uh, as a kid. And uh, they had you know a bunch of different outdoor activities and we could pick the activity we wanted to do that day. And, um, and as I was looking at the long list of things, I saw they had trail riding and, uh, and I thought, well, oh my goodness, this could be my chance to finally, yeah. you know, learn how to, to get on a horse and learn how to turn left and turn right and stop. And that's literally, you know, <laughs> that's all there is to it, right? <laughs> that's all there is to it. You know? and, um, so that was my first experience on a horse. And, uh, when that, uh, overnight camp ended, I got back home and told my parents, you know, I said, you know, let's stop trying to do all these other sports, which at the time I think was, you know, basketball, football. I mean, I tried all the things and nothing was really my, you know, my cup of tea and, uh, uh, told them, you know, let's look into lessons. And, uh, we found a, um, fantastic, uh, local barn in the area that was affordable for my parents, um, called Willowbin. And, uh, they're still, operating to this day. So, and then it, you know, just sort of grew from there. Amazing. I mean, before we even jump further into horses, I also wanted to touch on your career. Well, your beforehand and talk about your education. I know that you have pursued education beyond just your degree in college. You have your MBA and you are in the process of a doctorate program. Is that right? Well, uh, yes, I do have my MBA and okay. I've put my doctorate on hold. Um, okay. and so I, my doctorate is also in business administration um, nice. that, I'm, that I'm working toward. And what I've done is I've completed all of the coursework um, and just have taken a pause on the um, you know dissertation, the doctoral mm. study portion of it, which is the last piece. And um, and that and and it's a and it's a very large piece. I mean, it would um, you know because I work full time, it would probably take me a year and a half or potentially longer to to complete that one piece. And um, and and I've just sort of taken a breath and you know wanted to focus on a couple other things. So I'm not actively working on completing my doctorate, but 
you know, I, I do, I do have all of the coursework behind yeah. me, which, you know, is, is, which is still proving to be helpful. Um, but, but yeah, education is super important to me. Yeah. I was going to ask how, how do you feel like it's impacted your career with having this much business knowledge kind of under your belt? Well, the biggest thing I think it has done for me, especially in, in my current role, um, is giving me uh, the tools uh, and the, the confidence to uh, have business conversations with our clients. Mm. Uh, you know, when we're trying to convince a, a, a new family, you know, new meaning, you know, their daughter or son has only been riding for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when we're trying to speak to them of, of the benefits of making a very large purchase uh, of, on a horse for their child, um, you know, they, they have very specific questions. And, um, and you know, I, I feel that my education has um, given me the tools to be able to answer their questions um, effectively and, and confidently um, and be able to also give them, you know, assurance that, you know, they're working with someone that, uh, understands their investment and, um, how to maintain it and protect it. And, uh, as best we can, I mean, we know the, we know their animals and things happen, but, oh, yeah. um, but it's just, I would say those are the probably two areas where it's uh, really, uh, helped me, uh, in my current role. And, and even, you know, just with talking with people and networking with people, outside of my current role as well. Definitely. And let's rewind a little bit um, because you've had a lot of success as a rider and trainer, but growing up, you did not always have access to opportunities that you might have now. And obviously that comes from being in the industry and the experience, but growing up, how do you feel like your experience as a young rider influenced what you do now? I would say the, you know, so, so yes, you are, you are correct. I certainly, um, you know, didn't have as many opportunities as, as most who, who do horses at, at the level that I do horses at now. But, mm-hmm. um, but what, you know, one thing that I'm thankful for is, you know, I always felt that I had to work harder than others to sort of make progress and, and, and try to make up for, you know, maybe not having, you know, additional opportunities. Um, so I would say that mentality of, you know, having to persevere and um, work at things a little differently or a little bit more, um, I would say that has really shaped, you know, me as a, as a professional uh, to this day and, and not, not being afraid of, um, you know, digging in and working a little harder um, another thing it, that I'm realizing now that it has done for me is I think it's important to, uh, as, as people and, and certainly, you know, horse people as well, but, um, is to just be grateful and, um, you know, reflect on progress that has been made. Uh, and so that I, I do that often, you know, sometimes I'll sit back and I'll remember, you know, remember where I've come from, so to speak. And, uh, just say, oh my goodness, you know, I remember when I had to, you know, brush all of my horses and tap all of my horses sure. up and do, you know, things and clean all the tack. And, you know, I did that for year, decades. And, um, and so just, you know, grateful that um, I'm in a position now where we have a, a you know, well-staffed team that can help with a lot of things that, 
that frees me up to do other things. So I, I'm, I'm grateful for, you know, learning how to work hard, but I'm also grateful for uh, the opportunity to just appreciate, you know, uh, things maybe a little differently than someone who may have always been accustomed to, to one style of doing horses. Sure. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of your work now kind of is, I mean, obviously from how we are all brought up, it kind of points in a trajectory moving forward um, with what we do and kind of, you know, paying it forward within the industry. And I feel like a lot of your work focuses on making this sport more accessible to riders of all levels. What would you say are, you know, some of the biggest hurdles to making this sport more accessible to more people? Mm, I mean, that's a a, a really good question. And um, I would say that the two factors that I've noticed, um, obviously, are, you know, that are barriers to to entry for most would be the financial component. I mean, it's, they're, they're an expensive animal and, and it's an expensive horse, but then also, you know, location. Um, you know, I, I have some, you know, really good friends who live um, about an hour South of Utah and, um, and, you know, they have a, they have and have had a successful um, non-equestrian business. So, you know, for their kids, they, they do have, let's say the financial resources, um, to allow them to do horses, but location, you know, I mean, they, they struggle, you know, the the closest really good competition is, you know, super, super far for them. And and so it's just, it's a challenge location wise. So, so I think before I would say, oh, it was just finances and this and, you know, but, but, as I'm learning and now that I've, you know, done horses on, you know, on both sides of the the country at at this point, um, I've learned sometimes it's just location, Um, you know, not having access to knowledgeable, safe, you know, training and and instruction, you know, that that's important as well. Definitely. Um, You also started a nonprofit called the Robert Lawrence House of Opportunity. Can you tell me a little bit more about the nonprofit and what kind of inspired you to start it? Yes. So, you know, just trying to, again, make the sport a little more uh, accessible uh, to to riders. Um, You know, when I was growing up, I I can remember just, you know, having to pick and choose what shows and what clinics we attended, you know, because they were just, there was a limit there financially. And, um, and I can remember missing quite a few clinics, you know, with, you know, well-known, you know, professionals and, 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 you know, I would go and I would watch. So at least I would, you know, get to audit the clinic, but in terms of having a chance to ride in them, you know, just because if the clinic was, you know, a thousand dollars for the weekend, um, you know, for, for two sessions, let's call it, um, you know, uh, maybe we had to miss some, we definitely had to miss some. And, um, when I first, uh, moved out to Wilmington, North Carolina, uh, it was a sort of a, an area where, uh, there were a lot of, a lot of hunter jumper kids and adults and, um, and just were a little bit like me growing up where they, they did have a, a limit to what they could do. Um, and I always like to teach. I always like to teach and, you know, I'd say teaching, writing and, and judging are the three things I really enjoy. But um, but I, I can remember just feeling that, you know, uh, this community needs, you know, a, a leg up. And um, 
And, and so I just started this clinic, clinic based, uh, or donation based, I should say donation based clinic, uh, style nonprofit where I would travel to barns, both in that area and all over, um, really all over the, the country and, um, give clinics and there, there, there's no set fee, you know, so riders, so everyone can afford it. You know I mean? If you can pull out a quarter out of your pocket, you know, you can, that can be your, your donation. Um, so it was, you know, and, and I, you know, I felt I was knowledgeable and I feel that I can give adequate, safe, you know, quality clinics and, um, and, uh, similar maybe to the ones that I had to miss as a, as a little kid. And, um, and again, everybody could afford it because, you know, there was no, you know, real set fee to it. Um, and it just sort of grew from there. You also write for Sidelines Magazine, you know, besides all the other things that you are involved in. And you write a lot about developing talent across the industry, whether it's talent in the saddle or other areas outside of riding. Why do you feel like it's so important to educate and kind of develop these skills and talent for all areas of the industry, just in not just riding, but all of those other areas that kind of make up the industry? Well, yes. Um, and this, this is the first year, um, I've had the opportunity to write a column like this. So I, I'm also myself learning along the way, which I think is really cool. Um, but I, you know, just in my journey, I, I've just met, uh, people who maybe chose for themselves parts of the industry where, you know, I would perceive them being not as maybe naturally gifted, um, but seeing in them other gifts that I, you know, would hope or wish that they would tap into that they could bring to our sport and bring to the industry. Um, but what ends up happening is, you know, people see on TV and magazines and things, you know, one or two or three, you know, uh, highly publicized parts of our sport. And then they think that, you know, Oh, everybody has to go into this, this part of the industry. And, um, and I think it sets people up for disaster and and failure and um, disappointment, Um, you know, instead of welcoming and and sort of making it a positive thing uh, to, you know, really bring their talents to all parts of the industry. And there's, there's so, I mean, I can't even, think of or name all of the the ways a person can participate um in this sport but um and also but too thinking about you know how much further we could as a whole you know make uh progress and move forward if we had so many people just doing what they were passionate about and and gifted at and um you know versus everyone thinking they had to be a horse trainer or a rider you know then that's um, you know, you're going to get, you know, people who maybe burn out faster or, you know, maybe just lose interest. And, and it's a whole, it can be a whole, uh, a whole ordeal. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I grew up with the idea, you know, riding, having horses, taking lessons, doing what I can do was so passionate about it, but really just had the idea in my head that the only way to be a part of this industry is to be a rider or a trainer. 
Like, mm-hmm. I don't know why I had this disconnect, but it, it, it was really because that was all that was really talked about as far as being a professional in the industry was that those were kind of the two areas that you had to fit in and you either did it and you weren't that great at it or you burned out or, you know, all these things. But um, it was disheartening um, because at the time I didn't think, and now of course I am a trainer, but um, I also feel like I never quite fit the mold because I've also, you know, always been interested in fashion and photography and, you know, like a business side and creative side and owning my own businesses. And that's where my lifestyle platform, my equestrian style, and then the podcast were kind of kind of came to be as ways to, you know, have a creative outlet. And then the podcast really exactly kind of what you were saying was to highlight areas of the industry where people are you know, truly thriving and loving being a part of the industry, but it's not that typical trainer or rider scenario. So I I love that you kind of write about that too with sidelines, because I think that's going to be, you know, the steps to educate the in both in the industry and out of the industry that there are so many moving parts to this bubble that we call the horse world. Oh yes, yeah. There, there. That is very true, and um, you know, it, it just and also too. If again, if we all honed in on what our talents are, you know, just again thinking about how much of a happy space and and community uh, we would be able to build, you know, at horse shows, at home, you know, uh, on a weekend trail riding trip, you know, wherever it may be, you know. I think we all would be happier to do our sport and then just be happier human beings. I don't know about you, but whenever a horse friend or barn mate or trainer's birthday rolls around, I always struggle to think of the perfect gift. I always want something that really exemplifies the equestrian lifestyle. And recently I started ordering gifts and yes, some pieces for myself because the stuff is so cute from Horse Scout Design. Horse Scout Design is the home of equestrian lifestyle gifts and homewares online. At Horse Scout Design, you can find products with super unique design prints by talented artists and photographers, or you can honestly personalize your own pieces through a photo of your horse or a design that you want to create for yourself, family, and any horse or animal lover in your life. I have so many cool blankets and throws. I have a dog bed. There are so many options at Horse Scout Design that you can really personalize and really make a normal everyday homeware piece have the equestrian lifestyle vibe that you are going for. So for more information, visit their website at horsescoutdesign.com. In several articles, I feel like you mentioned that your success as an equestrian can be, you know, attributed to your ability to recognize you know, similarities and differences. Tell me a little bit about what your experience has been in the industry as a black male equestrian. Yeah, so it's um, it, it's been uh, you know, different, I think, uh, than, than maybe some, um, I am on a diversity committee with uh, USHJA and, um, it's interesting to hear 
you know, the different experiences that people have. And, um, you know, I, I will say, you know, I don't have some of the experiences that they have as it pertains to maybe how they've been openly treated and maybe some of the thing, the negative things that people have, you know, said to their faces, you know, who knows what, what has happened behind closed doors or behind my back, but, sure. but as it pertains to, you know, direct firsthand encounters, you know, I, I personally think I've been a little bit fortunate that way where I've not had any super negative, super disrespectful things uh, said directly to me. But, you know, I can remember uh, as young as being a kid and, and showing, you know, region, you know, locally, regionally at, so I grew up, uh, just a couple miles from the uh, Prince George County Equestrian Center, which is where, you know, Capital Challenge is. Oh, my favorite. Yeah. And actually, I think Washington's going to be there yeah. um, here as well. But I grew up riding at that equestrian uh, center and, and that, you know, that equestrian center had horse shows every practically every week. You know, some were dressage, some were unrecognized shows which were you know the ones i did and then and then they would have some very nice you know double a usef shows there as well throughout the year and such but um i can remember competing there and just you know as a kid uh, just catching people you know staring at me and um and you know and at some point i, I sort of tricked myself or or told myself that you know oh they're watching me ride because I'm just so good. You know, I'm just this amazing, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, long stirrup and, and doing the two, six children's hunters, you know, I'm, just, I'm amazing, you know, and then I'm, you know, started to go, well, maybe that's not it. Maybe, you know, <laughs> maybe it's because I just look a little differently than, than most, but, um, but so I, you know, I've always been used to it. I've all, I've sort of grown used to it and, um, just really focused on myself in terms of like my riding and my whole, my relationship with my horse. So, I, so I never, you know, I never, uh, it never overwhelmed me or it never really discouraged me, but certainly it was something that I noticed. Definitely. Um, yeah. yeah. Aside from your riding and training, you are also a judge. Um, so tell me a little bit about what inspired you to pursue this type of qualification. I know that it is, you know, quite a process and quite a time commitment to kind of get these qualifications. And then tell me a little bit about now that you have been judging, how has it kind of changed your experience as a rider and a trainer? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so I, uh, I took a judging class in college. It was, I'm pretty sure it was my junior year in college. Okay. And um, it was taught by a, a now really good friend of mine, uh, Carla Winberg. Um, she's a, a friend, a mentor, you know, all the things. And, and um, she's, an, uh, she's a top judge herself. She's also a, a FEI steward. Um, and so she taught the class and, and I just took it really because she was teaching it. You know, I, I, I knew that I respected her as a horse person and, um, we actually have very similar, uh, we have a very similar personality as it comes, as it pertains to the horses and training and that sort of thing. So, uh, so I took the class only because she was teaching it and then, uh, realized like, oh my goodness, I actually enjoy this and actually have a, a passion. I've developed a passion for it in that class, and um, and then I, you know, graduated from from college, from undergrad, and 
the state of North Carolina, you know, like probably every state has a, you know, um, a hunter jumper association, you know, attached to it. And, um, that North Carolina hunter jumper association, they had, um, you know, what they call C shows, you know, they're basically C rated, um, you know, unrecognized shows and, Mm -hmm. and they allowed you to, if you go through a process, you know, uh, they allow, they would then allow you to judge those shows. Um, and you did not at that time, you did not, you know, you don't need a USCF. You didn't need a USCF judges card to, to judge those C shows. And so I thought, well, oh, what a neat way, you know, it's um, a great place to start. Um, so that's what I did. I got my, my local unrecognized judges card at that time and, and, and did, uh, and judged those shows for, for a decade, for 10 years. Um, uh, you know, and then slowly started to chip away at getting, uh, my USCF judges card, which as you mentioned, uh, is a longer process. It's more expensive. It's harder to get and, and all that stuff. Um, so started to chip away at that. And then, um, finally received my small R, uh, in, uh, December this past December. And, um, and I will start working on my large R actually, uh, this December, I'll start nice. with a, a judge's clinic that I have to attend in Florida. Um, and I will, yeah, I'll start the process to, to work on my large R and, uh, you know, I am pretty positive. There are no black hunter, hunter and equitation judges, oh. uh, have their large R. Yeah. Um, for Very the, cool. hunters. I'm not sure about other disciplines and breeds but but for hunters and equitation i'm pretty positive there's there isn't there's no one so yeah i think that would be pretty cool i certainly it was a goal of mine anyway but but i think it would be pretty cool if if i you know happened to be the the first one so we'll see (laughs) absolutely yeah yeah and then tell me a little bit about how you feel because what was your what was kind of your initial drive to start working towards getting your judge's card I feel like everyone kind of has different, you know, like reasons or motivation behind kind of taking that step. But what was that like for you? Well, I, I think as I started to learn in that class in college, uh, you know, I, I think I just have the, uh, you know, personality or the organizational skills. I, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, I'm wired. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think I'm wired to, do that role. Um, I, I think I have some gifting and some talent there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, but really I, I do like to challenge myself to, uh, you know, make comparisons. Um, mm-hmm. you know, I, not that I, uh, believe everything about Myers-Briggs, but I, I'm an ISTJ and, mm-hmm. and the J stands for uh, forming judgments or making judgments, which basically just, you know, means comparisons, just how my brain works. Um, my brain works that way, um, in, in everyday life. Um, and then certainly as it pertains to, uh, horses. And so I, I enjoy, uh, I, first of all, I enjoy watching horse shows that that's the first, I, I mean, that's what I practically every top show that happened at the equestrian center when I was a kid, because I couldn't compete in it, uh, in those shows, I certainly went there to watch, you know, mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, you know, and so being so close to a, an equestrian center like that, I, um, you know, had the opportunity to watch. So I, so I love watching horse shows at, you know, that's the first thing. And then also I think I'm, 
wired to be able to do the job, but then I, but then I enjoy it. I love making comparisons to see, you know, what type of horse are we looking for in our industry and what type of horse is going to do this job better. Um, And then I also knew that it would, you know, give me a better understanding of how then to teach my clients how to show, you know, it's, it's teaching them how to ride is very important, but what's also important is you have to teach people how to show and, um, and, and being a, a judge and being in the box, you, you learn different things that you like to see and don't like to see. And uh, you're able to help your clients show, learn to show better. Um, so yeah, I enjoy it. Moving forward, kind of thinking about what your goals are with your career and what you're doing, where, where do you kind of see yourself in the next several years? Well, Things are going very well here in Seattle um, at the farm that I work for, uh, Alaron Training Stables. Um, it's a relatively new uh, business. It's uh, been up and going for about nine years, I believe, okay. um, uh, under a decade. And um, and we have a great group of, of you know new families into the sport, you know, first generation families into the sport, which I think is exciting. Um, so I'm really looking forward to uh, seeing how things unfold with with this role, um, and then also judging. I, I think I really want to uh, dedicate time and put in the time to keep learning how to do that better and better. Um, I mean, I'm certainly don't certainly don't know everything about about judging, although I do think I'm good at it. But I certainly there's I have a lot to learn as well. So I want to put in the time to learn uh, to be an uh, an even better judge, and and I actually I would love to later in life with lots of work and time I would love to have an opportunity to judge some very top shows. You know, I I, I would love to let's just call it you know ten to twenty years from now I would love to judge the National Horse Show and judge Devon and and judge some of these very prestigious horse shows. Um, so you have to start somewhere and you have to, yeah. you know, really do the legwork and, and start, you know, uh, at a, at a, on a smaller scale. And, and so I'd like to put in the time to, to do that. So. Definitely. What would you say is an area of the equestrian industry that you are passionate about that you feel like the rest of the horse world either just doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk that much about? I, I would say probably the judging part. Um, because one thing that I, when I, you know, engage in different conversations with people at at the horse shows, typically about one thing or another, whether it's, you know, this or that, you know, I just, I just get the, the idea that, you know, there are just things that people don't always understand or recognize, um, you know, about judging and about the process, you know, so. Um, just a short example would be if someone has a really good round and, um, you know, at a nice horse show, they're on a nice horse, all the things, and their score is an 82, you know, and there there may be some confusion about, oh, my gosh, that's so low, you know, um, why did I get an 82? Mm-hmm. And um, meanwhile, another judge may have given it an 88 or an 89, um, but recognizing that, you know, that 
82 could still have you winning. And, um, and that's just where the judge felt that score is or, or just, you know, different things like that, you know, to encourage people not to get so wrapped up around things like, like that, like, mm-hmm. you know, like that small, and that's just a quick, small example, but, but yeah, I, I definitely think the, the judging part is, is a part of our sport that people don't always understand or, and then remembering that judges are human. And, and at some point we do have to mark our card. So if a, you know, horse trots one step or half a step in the corner, or as they're, you know, at certain, at, at a b- weird blind spot, it's possible that everyone at the horse show saw it except the judge, if they're mm-hmm. depending on that vantage point, you know, so things like that, that I also try to encourage people to remember as well. Yeah, definitely. Being on the other side of it now, how do you feel the process is with, let's say there is some confusion or disagreement about a score, and then the process of receiving a judge's card or speaking with the judge about a round? Yeah, so, you know, at USCF shows, uh, trainers do have the option to, you know, meet with the steward and and have the steward then, you know, speak with the judge and and speak about one thing or another. Um, I, I would say maybe that that doesn't happen that often, but but sometimes in general, I think in our sport, it does happen where there's a trainer that really feels passionately about something mm-hmm. um, and and wants, they want the judge's opinion. Um, what I, again, like to always try to remind people of is I, I think most of us, you know, let's call it 98% of us in this industry, we are really trying to do our best. You know, mm-hmm. we're really trying, whether we're on the, whether we're the farrier, the trainer, the judge, whomever, we're really trying to do the best we, we can do. Um, and, you know, we're not out there to, you know, want someone to fail. And, um, and, and, and again, the human part, sometimes you make mistakes, you know, sometimes, you know, the horse that you had, you know, second in the under saddle, maybe he should have been fifth and vice versa. Maybe, Mm -hmm. or maybe the the horse you had fifth, maybe that should have been the second place horse. You you know, things, mistakes do happen. And, um, you know, we try our best and we aim to work against those so that they don't happen or, or happen as little as, as possible, but you know, it, it happens. Definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a great reminder and it's definitely refreshing to hear someone who is as, you know, a large part of the sport that you are. And, um, it's easy to, I think, get, maybe negative or down or focus on things that maybe didn't go as, as planned, um, especially in like a horse show situation, but just even in day to day. So I really appreciate your positive outlook. And um, I think it's, you are a wonderful influence to everyone around you. So I've loved watching your journey and um, will continue to love to see what you do next. And I wish you all the best. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I, um, I, I am a happy person and I am really just sort of enjoying, um, learning and growing and, and, you know, being a part of all that the horses have to teach us. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you next week.